0: I'm recording. Okay.
1: I'm going to read the uh, the thing now. You ready?
0: All right. Take it away.
1: Okay. On a late October afternoon in 1091, a storm began over southern England. Fed by warm air blowing south from the Gulf Stream and cooler winds descending from the Arctic, the storm grew and grew until it was a ten-mile-wide cloud thick enough to blacken the entire sky as it moved toward London. Then a low-lying huddle of straw and wooden buildings crouched around the curving banks of the Thames. By the time it hit the city, the storm was a supercell, made up of curved bands of clouds that showered medieval England with alternating bursts of hail, rain, and lightning. At some point in the outer suburbs, the wind rose off the ground in a vicious shear. The storm had spawned a mesocyclone, and deep within the clouds a vortex had developed, with inner winds peaking at 240 miles per hour. Within minutes, a tornado had reached the ground and bore down on the crowded, narrow London streets. Timber and thatch buildings dissolved in seconds under the roaring winds. Dirt and cobbled streets were torn apart, sending building materials, trade goods, vehicles, and livestock flying. As thousands of terrified city dwellers ran for the shelter of the sturdier buildings, the tornado traced a thick, meandering line through the northern half of the city. Inside of the church of St. Mary-le-Beau, in what is now Cheapside, churchgoers barely had time to scramble into the newly built crypt in the cellar before the building was ripped apart and the marketplace streets beyond were demolished. In the adjoining residential district, the roaring, rubble-clotted monster destroyed an estimated 600 buildings before meandering into the Thames. There, it blew apart the wooden London Bridge along with myriad wharves, piers, and fishing boats before dissipating as suddenly as it had formed.
0: Excellent job, thank you.
1: Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context and implications, and our best tips for surviving them. I'm Greg, head storm chaser for Relative Disasters Media Incorporated.
0: And I'm his sister Ella, a distinguished professor of extremely bad weather at Relative Disaster University. Thanks so much for that horrifying story, Greg. (laughs) Uh, And today we're going to take a look at the London tornado of 1091. So, did you know... This completely blew my mind. Um, per land area, there are more tornadoes in England than anywhere else on the planet. Did you know? Okay, that? wait.
1: No, I had no idea. Hang on. Yes. So you're saying there are more there are more tornadoes in England than there are in like Oklahoma?
0: That is correct. That's okay, so bizarre. per land area,
1: per so land area, we're kind area. of cheating okay. a little
0: bit because well, we're not cheating. The Guinness Book of World Records is cheating. By eh, saying that it. if you measure by total land area, England's a small country, remember? Sure. And they get a ton of tornadoes. They're just all pretty small.
1: Wait, I'm sorry. Go back one. Yep. England gets a ton of tornadoes? England England is like little tiny rains all the time.
0: It does rain all the time. And do you know what causes tornadoes?
1: <laughs> Hang on. I'm seeing a link here.
0: <laughs> Clouds, like where the rain comes from. <laughs>
1: uh, yes. For those of us playing the home game.
0: <laughs> For those of you following along at home... It does actually have a tornado alley that's incredibly active. Okay. And if we will flip through the Guinness Book of World Records 2012 edition, the quote is, quote, while other countries may get more severe tornadoes or more tornadoes overall in a year or season, the country that receives the most tornadoes by land area is England. Between 1980 and 2012, England experienced 2.2 tornadoes per year per 10,000 square kilometers. And then by comparison, the U.S., which includes Alaska and Hawaii, experienced 1.3 tornadoes per the same land area. So we're really falling huh. behind. I mean, we have a lot of catching up to do.
1: Yeah, well.
0: I feel like Oklahoma is doing a lot of heavy lifting for us. and uh, I, I
1: feel like Oklahoma and Kansas. yeah, <laughs>
0: Hawaii and Alaska, step it up.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Where's the National Pride, Oregon?
0: You know, I think the National Pride is in a truck driving around looking for tornadoes. Yes. And the English are also doing that. They have their very own severe weather fan club.
1: Okay. <laughs> Okay.
0: It's called TORO, which is not a good acronym for Tornado and Storm Research Organization. Their mission is to track and photograph and report on and write about English storms. They're really interested in ball lightning. Wait, what? Actually. Ball lightning? So these days they're really focusing on ball lightning, (laughs) which is incredibly common in England. But they're famous for talking about tornadoes, yeah.
1: So, I actually do know something about Toro, because just Ooh. like just like you, I was able to do a little bit of research before diving into this. So, in the United States, we use the, the Enhanced Fujita Scale. which Yes, we do. Which goes, that's where you find like, oh yeah, that was an F4 tornado. But the Toro Great. Scale is bizarre. It goes from 0 to 11, because it's oh. Britain. <laughs> They had this scale uh, that's still used, I believe, the Beaufort scale. And then this wasn't good enough for them. So they made their own scale.
0: It's actually called the Beaufort scale. Beaufort. And it's not intended for land storms. It's actually something you would use to measure storms at sea. Okay. So the metrics are completely different. Okay. The Toro scale is based on the wave height equations it gets into a lot of physics that I cannot follow, but uh, <laughs> basically they're saying that you can measure the strength of a wind by the size of the wave that it creates.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Which makes sense, right? Yeah,
1: that makes sense. So
0: they're taking that scale and they're like extrapolating it so that it fits with tornado damage.
1: Okay. So
0: I personally think this is kind of a stretch,
1: <laughs> but I mean,
0: but Toro does not. They have their own journal. They're peer reviewed, so they, are, they must no, be they're, they're onto fine. something.
1: They look at wind speed and so does the Fujita scale. They just look at them differently. They're
0: actually looking at the same metrics. So they're both looking at wind speed and damage and they're both doing that to measure storm intensity.
1: But the neat thing about these scales, no matter if they're using the Toro scale or the Fujita scale... Is that basically, while you can measure the wind speed of a storm as it's happening, mm-hmm. usually where these classifications come from is you look at the damage afterwards.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And this tornado that hit London, on the Toro scale, this was a T8. That's right. Which is bananas. Though That's an incredibly devastating Superstorm.
0: Right. It's the kind of thing you'd expect to see in, like, Kansas. Yeah. Sweeping away Dorothy Gale. It's a huge, devastating, very damaging tornado.
1: And, and nothing really survives these. You've got, you know, structures blown away. You've got houses picked up and thrown around. Yep. Even modern, like, steel frame buildings can get knocked down or broken in half by these things. I mean, they're... This is crazy. And it's... They're monsters. They're, yeah. They're, they're insane. And this hit, London at the time of William II. This thing, I'm reading one of the the sources saying that it took beams from the church Mm -hmm. and embedded them into the ground so deeply that only like two feet were above the surface.
0: Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, And we'll come back to that later on when we're talking about the medieval writers who were writing about the storm damage and the Toro researchers were able to use that kind of mathematical data to actually extrapolate how intense the storm was by that kind of damage. So cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And the Toro scale is really odd to me in that it goes all the way up to T11. We just mentioned the strongest tornado on record in England is a T8. You could actually use the T11 description or the T11 rating to describe an American tornado. Or a Russian tornado or a German tornado. Yeah. (laughs) But but you can't use it to describe an English tornado because one has never happened. Huh. So I think it's interesting that they kind of extrapolate up to that level. That is cool. And they also go all the way down to T0. Yeah. Which I would like to read to you now. Go for it. Quote, no damage to structures unless on tops of tallest towers or to radiosons, balloons, or aircraft. No damage to the country except possibly agitation to the highest treetops and effects on birds and smoke. A whistling or rushing sound aloft may be noticed. End quote. Huh. That's a T-Zero.
1: So a T-Zero is, <laughs> it was cloudy today.
0: <laughs> a T-Zero is a strong breeze. <laughs> okay. That doesn't do anything to your balloons.
1: <laughs> I like that. I, I think we had a T-Zero other yeah. day, actually.
0: I think T-Zero's happen all the time. And uh, Toro is there to write them down for us.
1: It sounds like they need something to do some days, so... Maybe that's good.
0: I mean, don't we all? Yeah. You know, you didn't just go out there and walk around on a windy day. You went out (laughs) there and walked around in a T-Zero tornado, and you lived to tell the tale.
1: Guys, guys, I just survived a tornado. Yeah, (laughs) T-Zero, T-Zero, no big.
0: And you have to remember that these structures that we have to describe storms, that's the only thing we can really use. Like, Ted Fujita, when he developed his skill, developed it by flying over tornado paths like long after they had passed, he would fly over and take pictures of the damage that they caused. Okay. There's really no way, you can be on the ground, like holding up a windsock and an anemometer. <laughs> I mean, there <laughs> to is a way. Measure how you fast can the do wind it. is going. <laughs> yeah, but staying on the ground is difficult. Sure. Um, as as we know from the completely factual film Twister from the 90s. Yes. yes. You got to be real creative when you are deploying your more accurate measuring equipment.
1: Sidebar about Twister because it's amazing. Uh, when, Bill, when Bill Paxton passed away a few years back, um, a group of tornado watchers went out and did like a tribute to him chasing after tornadoes.
0: How did they do that, though? Did they like chase a tornado and yell, Bill, this one's for you, Bill. I can only assume. Did they name a tornado Bill Paxton? Okay.
1: All right. So in 2017... After Bill Paxton passed away. Did
0: they drive around in a pattern that spelled out Bill Paxton on the weather radar? A bunch of
1: storm chasers (laughs) out in Tornado Alley. So we're talking, you know, very north of Texas and then upwards for a bit. Mm -hmm. They all took their vehicles out. Now, their vehicles are all tracked in a storm chaser database <gasps> and your vehicle, your vehicle signs in, right? So a little red dot will show up when you sign in because you're out there chasing after a storm.
0: Oh, yay. Oh, and you can go off road in those huge trucks. Yes, too,
1: can't you? You, you have to. I mean, it's sort of the job description.
0: <laughs> so they could do it in cursive.
1: Well, they didn't though, but <laughs> <laughs> what they did was they went out there and they, they, they put the initials B and P stretching miles and miles, it took hundreds of them. The B and P initials stretched from about halfway through Kansas through halfway through Oklahoma.
0: Amazing. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And I hope they do the same thing for Helen Hunt when she passes away.
1: Oh my gosh, God yes. forbid. And H's are easier to make than, I mean, B and P have those rounded edges. so
0: Yeah, you could do it in cursive. It would be beautiful. You could.
1: All right. So that's, that's, and sidebar over.
0: (laughs) Sir Helen Hunt, thank you for showing us the way. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you, theoretical storm chasers from whenever Helen Hunt dies. Yes.
0: Well, my point with that whole sidebar was just that the technology that they were deploying is actually a really good idea. And people have been working on similar attempts to kind of get inside the storm and really figure out what's happening because... A lot of times meteorologists don't even really understand how tornadoes get started. We know that some some thunderstorms create supercells, some supercells create tornadoes. There's a phenomenon called a wind shear that I read a thesis about that actually described how the wind like hits the ground, comes up off the ground, and enters the cloud at like a certain point, it creates pressure, huh. hot air rising, cold air turning. And it all like goes down the drain and forms a tornado. But the conditions are not really super widely understood.
1: And it's a lot more complicated than cold air hits hot air and thing happens. <laughs> so Don't get
0: me wrong. I love that explanation, too.
1: It's, I mean, it's a simpler explanation. It makes sense. But just like most of reality, uh, there's a lot of nuance in there.
0: Yes, and we are all about the nuance here on Relative Disaster. <laughs> I mean, I really like to think of... Graduate students sitting around in some lab somewhere watching Twister seriously and going, hey, what we need to do are create tiny little balls like they do in Twister and then drive them out into a storm and release them. But they have to have wings on them. Okay. I just really like to think about people watching Twister critically. Yeah. As a meteorology graduate student.
1: I, I think more people should. This should be. All right. So we, we're we going to put this <laughs> forward now. It is a nonfiction book. <laughs> yes. This is a film. I'm sorry.
0: That was an interesting sidebar. But we have reached the end. <laughs>
1: this is a film that needs to be studied now. We need to. Uh, this needs to be part of the curriculum. At least here at Relative Disaster U. So.
0: So. I just want to reiterate one more time that. This way we have of approaching tornadoes is really new. So Ted Fujita was working on describing tornadoes in the 70s. Okay. Uh, Toro has been around. They're almost kind of competing. Okay. So the guy who started Toro was a writer who had some ideas that kind of contradicted Fujita's findings. He developed his own theory. He developed his own journal. Um, And then kind of off and on over the years, they've been kind of sniping. Oh, no. Meaden thinks that Fujita has a grave theoretical weakness, which I was not able to read more about. I was really disappointed.
1: Yes, we need to know that. And I want, I want, if somebody's going to be throwing shade in the meteorological community, I need to know. Somebody needs to spill the tea here.
0: Especially at Ted Fujita, who's like the most world famous tornado expert. Yeah. So, you're going to throw shade, don't put it in the abstract, and then put the paper behind a paywall, Toro. <laughs> thank you. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so if you think about tornadoes, they are just not that visible. It's not like like a lightning storm that you can kind of see in the distance and you know it's coming nearer. Or a
1: or hurricane. Or a hurricane
0: that moves really slowly. Yep. yep. Uh, so we have these ideas about what tornadoes look like, but a lot of times they're not very visible. So they're inside storms that have a lot of rain in them, um, sometimes lightning, sometimes hail, and they also carry a lot of debris. And that, of course, means that you can't see because stuff's flying everywhere. And in medieval London, there's a lot of stuff to fly around. We've got thatched roofs. We've got cobblestones. We've got sheep, pigs.
1: Sheep, yes.
0: (laughs) Dung
1: yeah, there would have been a lot of dung. It goes through a
0: marketplace, there's going to be cabbages, trees, etc. So it's a big like dirty storm and it's loud. Yeah. So you can hear it, but you can't always see it. When we look at historical accounts of tornadoes, a lot of times we're looking for certain keywords in those histories. We're looking actually for the word whirlwind. Okay. Or... Devil, they're sometimes called weather devils, Ooh. and they're also frequently called hurricanes. They're almost never called tornadoes. Right, because which is interesting.
1: The word tornado wasn't in common use, especially back in 1091, right? Well, it was
0: for sailors. Sailors were using it to describe waterspouts, oh. which are ocean-going tornadoes. Oh, we can't even get into that, but they're super fascinating. It's the same kind of storm, only instead of sucking up dirt, cows, people,
1: it picks up water. Animals.
0: It picks up water. So those you can actually see very clearly, and they're very, very beautiful. They just look like long, gray snakes. They're super powerful. They don't last long. They don't really injure people. Okay. But they have been kind of implicating in historical sinkings where ships just kind of up and sank for no other reason.
1: Okay. Well, that and, you know, Kraken.
0: Right. Kraken. (laughs) It's always (laughs) Kraken. So uh, when you look at these descriptions... Uh, there's one account of an event near Scarborough, which is kind of in England's Tornado Alley. Okay. And that's a few hundred years later. But it's described as a giant black horse that's leaving huge circular scars on the ground. What? Well, the writer understands that as a tornado because he's looking at the way a horse and a plow throw up like a wedge-shaped dust cloud. Okay. So he's saying from that description and from the description of huge circular scars on the ground... He's looking at that and saying, okay, well, we know we're in an area where tornadoes happen, so this was probably a tornado.
1: So what we basically have is the historical view of these things, because they didn't use the word tornado, were a lot cooler than what we have now. Exactly. They're just
0: like, hey, this amazing thing happened. (laughs) Here's what happened. It was obviously a demon descending from the sky, um, but, you know, it was this shape. It made this noise and it made this kind of damage. So, you know, a couple hundred years later, we can look back at that and say, oh, I know what that is. It's a tornado. Cool. In the more recent past, like in uh, the 1860s, we're starting to see people who are almost like prototype storm chasers. Okay. So there are people who are like, they know they should be inside because there's thunder and lightning. It's a huge storm. There's a ton of hail. The wind is roaring. But then, like, you can see something coming closer. It's snapping trees. It's carrying away chimneys and roof tiles. It's uprooting elm trees. It's leveling farm buildings and cottages. This one recorder stands in his kind of farmyard and watches the wind pick up cows and wagons from their field and put them down in the middle of a nearby pond. Wow. Yeah, no report on how damaged they were, poor cows. I was
1: going to say, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) But are the cows okay?
0: It is unclear. It would be. Unfortunately.
1: Okay. But
0: they are very clear about how many roof tiles were torn off and damaged, how many were salvageable. Well, they had to
1: file their insurance. The cows
0: were not sure. Exactly. They had to file their insurance. So, you know, we can kind of see that tornadoes are not always described as accurately as Ted Fujita in his airplane would like us to, which is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate, but they're super cool.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And once you read through a bunch of these historical accounts and you start looking at these older accounts, the ones that are associated with the 1091 tornado, which they're calling a hurricane.
1: I have it here as the violent whirlwind as Florence of Worcester. Yep.
0: You have to remember also that it occurred when writing and historical record keeping was pretty spotty. Like, there was no one out there giving best practices for writing down accounts of violent storms.
1: Or writing down anything.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> like, the Doomsday Book was brand new when uh, when these guys were writing. <laughs> there just weren't many books in the British Isles. Like, people were just starting to grasp how and why we want to write things down okay so the reason why toro can say this tornado is probably or definitely like a t8 event yeah is because we have these two near contemporary descriptions that were written around the same time and they're written by a pair of english benedictine monks who are also historians and chroniclers and writers and probably huge gossips okay he wrote some really interesting books <laughs> And they didn't live together, so they wouldn't have been hearing. They wouldn't have just been. They wouldn't have repeating been developing the other ones story said. together, right? Exactly. Cool. They were either talking to different witnesses or talking to the same witness and interpreting it a little differently. Oh, can we do a sidebar about the Benedictines? Yes,
1: we can do a sidebar about the Benedictines.
0: <laughs> They're super interesting. <laughs> Go nuts! So It's a Catholic order that's been around since the sixth century. Okay. The monks all dress in black.
1: I thought they dressed in brown. Don't they, aren't those like the ones you see wearing the brown robes with the ropes for belts and they sing really pretty? Dude,
0: you're thinking of the Franciscans. No. That's tuck. Yeah. The Benedictines are black. Okay. They're wearing all black.
1: So the Benedictines are are like the heavy metal monks.
0: Exactly. They're hardcore. They're hardcore. Their motto is, I think it's labor and prayer. Like all they do is work and pray. It's all they do. But. The ones who work on writing become really good writers. Okay. So they're actually famous for writing things down. They have these libraries in their abbeys. They do all kinds of scholarly projects. They have scriptoriums that are famous. And they're famous for fact-checking, which is really helpful for us. So these guys are actually talking to witnesses. They're not talking to people who thought they heard something from someone somewhere and maybe drew a picture. (laughs) These are like... Actual eyewitnesses who are describing them. Cool. So our first description comes from William of Malmesbury. Okay. He was a monk living in Malmesbury Abbey, which is in Wiltshire. And then in his History of England, which is a very long Latin title I cannot pronounce. Okay. But we'll put it in our bibliography. You know what? I can't pronounce it, but I can copy and paste it. (laughs) So, Quote, churches and houses, enclosures and walls were left in heaps. Huge timbers, as long as five men, were ripped from the roof of St. Mary and lodged into the ground to a depth of six meters, end quote. Okay. All right, so that's what William puts in his History of England. Okay. And, oh, you got to remember, William is born after the tornado, so he's talking to someone at a distance of 20 to 30 years. Okay. His contemporary Florence of Worcester is older, so he might have talked to someone a little more, a li- like a little closer to the event. Got it. He's also a Benedictine. His abbey is in Worcestershire, like the sauce. Huh. He also wrote a history of England with a long Latin title. Again, you can find it in our bibliography. He describes the event like this. Quote, A very powerful whirlwind, coming from the south, knocked down more than 600 houses and a considerable number of churches. It also struck the church called St. Mary Le Beau killed two people in it, And lifting the roof with the timbers aloft, carried them back and forth in the air for a long time. Finally, it fixed six of the timbers in the same position which they had been fixed in the roof, so deep in the ground that only a seventh or eighth part protruded, and yet they were 27 or 28 feet long. Okay. So, yeah, (laughs) you can see Florence is a, a little more detail, and he's also got some math in there. Yeah. We know this was a powerful storm because it knocked down 600 houses. Seems like an exaggeration, but
1: a lot. Well, I mean, if they're small houses.
0: Right. And both of those both of those accounts reference St. Mary LeBeau. Yep. A very famous church. It was rebuilt later by Christopher Wren. Still there if you want to go see it. And it references the church losing its roof. And then so, the beams
1: getting chucked into the ground.
0: Exactly. So we know huh. about how big those timbers would be, about how strong they would be and about how much force it would take to drive them seven-eighths of the way into the ground. Yikes. And Florence actually tells us they were 27 or 28 feet long, so we can even be more exact about that. And I don't know if this is another sidebar, but do you yeah. know how building materials are rated for tornadoes? I do not.
1: How are building... Wait. Okay. Go.
0: I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> they um, they take a two-by-four and they fire it at a brick wall or okay. whatever the construction material they want to test is. So... If your brick wall can withstand a 2x4 being fired at it from a cannon, then you know it's going to be safe up to a certain wind speed.
1: I have I have several questions.
0: <laughs> you can see this on YouTube if you want. It's super fascinating.
1: So if I build a structure, the best way to test its ability to withstand a tornado is to put a 2x4 in a cannon and shoot it at the structure.
0: Okay. I would not recommend this for a couple of reasons. <laughs> You would use it for testing, like your concrete block or your brick or your stucco or whatever else you're deciding you want to build your house out of. Gotcha. Uh, you wouldn't fire it at houses. That would be crazy. So
1: it's a it's a, it's a a three little pigs testing system. If it knocks down the straw exactly. house, you move on to the, the <laughs> sticks. And then when those get knocked down, you but move on to the bricks. in an marks.
0: ideal world, you want to know before you build, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. So. Okay.
0: So... That's all I got for you on the 1091 Tornado.
1: Okay. Well, now that we know what happened, what we need to do now is obviously we need to dispense our best advice for time travelers. Absolutely. So I think what we need to do is for all of you out there who have set your time machines to 1091 and you want to go to London in late October, we have a few tips for you. Well,
0: first of all, let's just talk about that is a really attractive destination. It
1: is. There's a lot of cool stuff there. London
0: 1091 the Vikings have stopped attacking. Yep. Okay. William II is king. He's kind of a party king. He's a lot of fun. He's embezzling money from the church to use for his fun projects. Yeah. <laughs> he's got like a party infrastructure, but he's not in town. He's way up in Scotland right now. Okay. So things are relatively peaceful. You don't have any craziness going on. Uh, the big plagues are a few hundred years away. Yep. A lot of fresh air.
1: Yeah. Well, not really. really because really good beer. Everybody's still pooping in the streets. <laughs> So, London was not a
0: lot of fresh water.
1: (laughs) No, not a lot of fresh water, and the air is going to smell rather like, you know, poop.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I was going to say something about the farm to table cuisine, but I (laughs) agree
1: with your poop smell. But then again, it's also (laughs) London in 1091, so farm to table cuisine is very, very limited at that point,
0: but super fresh.
1: Super fresh.
0: Yeah. Well, you've got Roman ruins to tour.
1: Uh, Yes. Do you like touring Roman ruins? You've got a few Roman ruins that are hanging out there. You could go boating. You've also got uh, Normandy and Scotland, which had just come under English rule. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, yeah.
0: So you've got like new goods coming in, new foods.
1: New places to go hang out.
0: My point is it's a peaceful time. Yeah. It's a chill time. It's a peaceful time. You don't want to go there for this tornado, though. No. The leading tornado advice is really get out of the way. So that's... Uh, no, I'm kidding. I have more advice for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: My, my advice for you, the time traveler who's headed back there, is stay out of uh, the Church of St. Mary LeBeau. Don't. Don't don't go do there. Do what
0: I do and just stay home. Yeah.
1: <laughs> find pr- Preferably maybe find a reason to not be in London that day because... Are you sure thing. that's where you want to go? Yeah.
0: I, yeah. But... Say you get stuck. I mean, it happens. You get a long layover. You misread your ticket.
1: It's really busy on a Friday, you know?
0: Exactly. Stay off the London
1: Bridge. Also, I've
0: never seen a medieval tornado. I kind of want to see a medieval tornado. Let's do this.
1: I kind of want to see a medieval tornado, but maybe from like, I don't know, two hilltops away.
0: Mm, That's a good distance. Two hilltops or a thousand years. Yeah, there you go. I feel like this is the perfect distance.
1: Craziness here. At the time, London's population was about 18,000 people.
0: Crazy, right? And they're all living within the Roman Wall, which, you know, is a tiny, tiny portion of London now. Yeah. So these, they must have been like living on top of each other. And then they also have like their pigs and goats and cows and babies and everything piled up on top of them. You're right. It probably doesn't smell very good.
1: I mean, see, now, though, I'm envisioning a bunch of medieval Britons walking around with, like, pigs on their heads, so maybe I do want to go back and see this. I like a pig. I like I mean, pig.
0: I think they're really nice. Very sweet I, I also animals. like sheep. Yes. And probably there are a lot of sheep <laughs> in the city.
1: <laughs> Getting picked up and thrown not around being in a tornado.
0: <laughs> sheep fans, pig fans, you're all in London. What are we going to do? So first, you're going to want to get out of the way. Yeah,
1: first you want to get out of London as quickly as possible. <laughs>
0: And as I found when I was looking at different accounts and different things that have been written about this tornado over the past hundred years or so, it's really unclear where the storm started and which way it moved. Uh, so running blindly away in rain, hail, poor visibility, flying debris, it's probably not your best idea. Yeah. Um, and also you're going to want to keep in mind tornadoes can move very quickly. Yes. And you aren't going to have the benefit of an early warning. Yeah. So you want to find a really good shelter. I think is the first thing you want to do.
1: So in the event of an F4 or a T8 tornado, Mm -hmm. you want to be in somewhere that has a very strong foundation. You want to be, you know, not a, not a mud cellar or something like that. You, you want to be in a place where, because here's the thing, you know, the wooden house on top of that cellar is gone. That that's just, that's just about to become bits and pieces and thrown everywhere. So you want to be in something that can stand up to the to the howling winds but also not lift you out of itself into the howling winds. Exactly. You want to get down. You want to get you want to get either down into like the uh, like the people did in in the uh, in the church at St. Mary mm-hmm. Lebeau, you want to get down into the into the crypts. You want to get exactly. down someplace where you are under the ground because wind has a very hard time traveling through the ground as we know i am i am a scientist
0: (laughs) as we know it is above the ground where the wind is worse
1: it's true it's true the wind tends to stay above the ground so
0: we are idiots
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah also true
0: so you want to be below ground level and you want to head for something that has a sturdy building on top of it
1: yeah definitely because the the sturdier the building, the more likely it is to survive the the damage. But at that time right. there weren't really I mean, the sturdiest of buildings would have been stone and mortar, right?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: So And those
0: weren't necessarily I mean that Saint Mary Lebeau was sturdy. Yep. And stone. That's not a guarantee. There are three castles in London yeah. at this time.
1: But they were um, fine. And
0: that's Norman architecture, which is small windows. So those are a good place to hang out. There you go. Um, yeah. And then you've also got your Roman ruins. Yeah, but they're the already ruined. built some solid houses.
1: They're already ruined. You're you're not going to get much shelter well, there.
0: They had catacombs, and it's really unclear <laughs> where <laughs> these tunnels were <laughs> and how to find them. But I read in a couple of places that there are actually Roman tunnels still under London today. Like when they go digging for to build a new skyscraper, they're like, oh hey. It's a bathhouse.
1: Oh, So your advice would be to get underground into a tunnel that won't be discovered for another couple hundred years.
0: Exactly. Start, digging,
1: Start for digging for the best. Start for the best.
0: <laughs> you know, you could also make a dash for the Roman wall itself. Um, it's got all kinds of little gates and towers and niches that are built in. Um, and we know from the contemporary accounts that the Roman wall was not damaged. Okay. Or it doesn't sound like it was damaged from the path that... Florence describes.
1: Although it may have just been out of the way.
0: Yeah. The Roman Wall runs along the northern bank of the Thames and it kind of makes a loop up into northern London. Okay. Uh, apologies if I got that wrong. <laughs> but that's kind of a good a good boundary to shoot for. Okay. You're not going to want to try and cross the river
1: at no, this point. No. Because the bridge is going to go.
0: <laughs> exactly. And the bridge is a wooden bridge. Yeah. And the bridge is only 30 years old and it's not very well built. It seems like I did read something interesting that um, I told you William II was embezzling money from the church. Yeah. Well, he later gets assassinated or murdered or Or a seriously dies in a hunting accident. Yeah. (laughs) And people think it's because he took money from the Catholic Church, which you're not supposed to do. I was really surprised about that.
1: Oh, bizarre.
0: Anyway, he built a new bridge when he got back from Scotland after the tornado, and people think it might have been... The money from the Catholics ah. going into the infrastructure.
1: Well, William the First built the wooden bridge that was destroyed by the London tornado.
0: Yep. And he didn't do a very good job.
1: No. And then what wound up happening was after the London tornado blew up the bridge, William II replaced it. And then that one burned down.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. People keep using wood. England is going <laughs> to run out of wood pretty soon. So <laughs> it's all going to be stone in the next couple centuries. <laughs> yeah is that why they moved this to is how they used stone? up their wood <laughs> they built stuff and then it burned down they built more stuff it burned down london is extremely flammable at this point yeah and the one thing you're not going to have to worry about is uh fires following the tornado
1: well that's that's good
0: yeah i mean it's an advantage uh <laughs> but also i want to remind you you need to have something on your head um,
1: yes because flying debris will kill you
0: exactly uh, I actually read that the leading cause of death during a tornado is traumatic head injury yeah
1: yeah. it's getting struck
0: if you're sheltering inside a house and you're not sure if the house is going to make it through the storm they say to put on a bike helmet get into a closet or an inner hallway with no windows and crouch in a corner but you definitely want to have something on your head
1: yeah because in a tornado you know a, a penny Turns into a bullet real fast.
0: Right, you're not gonna, you're not worried about being sucked into the sky like Dorothy Gale, I mean, right? i'm, you're a, worried, I'm about a worried about something it. getting shot at you. Well, don't be worried because it's not gonna happen. <laughs> because if that you're happens, not Dorothy Gale. Yeah. <laughs> I can't picture your dog riding in a picnic basket. All right, all right. So what I want you to do is go to the armory at the Tower of London and grab yourself one of those pointy iron helmets, the ones with the nose guard. Maybe get yourself a little chainmail hood underneath. Yep. What do you think? I mean, that's
1: they're, they're wearing like Norman-era armor at that point. So you get some some nice iron helmet and stick it on your head. Yeah. And, and then you don't have to explain to your fellow time travelers why you're coming back with three
0: nostrils. Exactly. Every time I look at those, it, it just makes me think about headaches. Fair enough. Have you ever seen the Bayer Tapestry? That's the kind of helmet that they wear in there. And they're like running around. They've got spears. They've got dead horses flying everywhere. Uh, It's a lot of drama and intrigue. And then all I can think about is, God, their heads must have been killing them. There's no ibuprofen and you're carrying around a seven pound iron hat.
1: Well, I think it's a trade off, you know, because, yeah, the hat is uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But the arrow that the hat deflects would be significantly more uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) I don't know, Greg. I've had some terrible headaches.
1: Fair enough. (laughs) All right.
0: All right, so that's the helmet. I just sourced a helmet for you.
1: Okay. I like it. Uh, but
0: you're going to want to source something soft because you are going to want to cuddle up inside something that's going to absorb the impact of any flying furniture or pottery, window glass, etc. And then, luckily, you're going to be happy to hear this. This is probably the easiest thing to find <laughs> because okay. medieval London is full of nice, soft, flammable things. Ah, there you go. You've got wool straw hay anything like that is going to do it for you cool you've also got cloth uh you're probably going to get lice from any of these
1: right yes but you've had
0: all your shots you're a time traveler yeah
1: you it's it's a prerequisite I don't think you for traveling worry about it. yeah exactly you're
0: gonna get fleas and you're gonna get lice you know so yeah just grab some sheep
1: <laughs> grab the nearest sheep
0: put your helmet on <laughs> and snuggle down
1: <laughs> perfect perfect we've we've solved it I think the, the other thing that's important to mention about tornadoes is not just the devastation that they cause, but how quickly they move. Yeah. You know, the the average tornado only lasts a couple minutes. Exactly. And, and the
0: one I was reading the account of from 1863 lasted for 10 minutes. It did unbelievable damage. It oh, moved yeah. almost 12 miles. It blew apart all these farms and trees. Oh, my gosh. Like a 10-minute tornado is really bad news.
1: Yeah. I mean... <laughs> a one-minute tornado is pretty bad.
0: Exactly, they touch the ground and then do a ton of damage, and then it's over in three minutes. Yeah, or thirty seconds. So,
1: and one sticking around for ten minutes—I mean, that's that's unfathomable. That's a lot of damage.
0: Okay, it wasn't in the same spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like so I it was like multiple funnels. that. No, it was one funnel, but it was moving very quickly. Okay, still, yikes. Uh, so it wasn't like one funnel in one spot what do you think that would do to the ground if it was just one funnel in one spot would it dig a huge hole
1: um yes i think it would i think it dig i think it would dig it would dig enough of a hole but then once it got down a couple of feet it would probably have some trouble because if if it could be held in one spot eventually that that Mm -hmm. funnel would run out of the circulating air and it would start to you know kill itself off by pushing too deep
0: (gasps) i think we solved the tornado problem
1: Yes, get mounds of soft dirt and put the. No, wait, wait. I'm seeing a secondary problem now.
0: And a force field.
1: Yes. As soon as we invent force fields, we're good.
0: Twister 2. Twister
1: 2. The force field one. I would watch that. I know.
0: Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in the show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know.
1: You can do that by email to relative.disaster at gmail.com.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disaster. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange and dangerous event from history and our finest advice for surviving it. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg?
1: Okay, it's going to be... The complete destabilization of an economy due to one person's pilgrimage to Mecca. (laughs)
0: Yes. That sounds like an amazing disaster. I cannot wait to talk about that with you.